Hi, this is Andy. And hi, this is Sunny. And you are listening to the Business Over Chai podcast. Our mission is to share startup stories that will inspire the next generation of entrepreneurs across the South Asian community. In today's episode, we're speaking to Ganesh Ayer, founder and CEO of Dotin. Dotin is a B2B AI talent analytics platform that helps in sourcing, screening and engaging talent in real time without asking any questions. Instead, they use concepts such as colour theory and natural language processing. Dotin has said to increase hiring efficiency by 60% and significantly increase productivity by 2.5x. Dotin has been internationally recognised in many awards and initiatives including being a Salesforce Demo Jam finalist and being included as a top 25 disruptive HR solutions company by CIO Review magazine in 2018. Ganesh was born in Mumbai and studied at IIT before moving to the US where he continued studies at Binghamton University, San Jose State and Stanford University. Ganesh started his professional career as an engineer before moving into business-oriented roles at Cisco Systems. This led him to understand the problems in talent acquisition and retention, which inspired him to founding Dotin. So Ganesh, could you give us an introduction to what Dotin's mission is? So our mission is very simple, which is how do I ident- identify as an enterprise your core motivations and talent, and how do I align them to the right opportunities? Uh, So our mission from the get-go is making sure that we can not only highlight the strengths of the talent, but start showcasing the right opportunities, which can be the right jobs. It can be the right mentor who can help you onboard into that job. It can be the right teams that you want to get in, where you can basically find synergistic thoughts. It can be the right opportunities within the company as a part of the transition. And as somebody picks those opportunities, how do you show the respective training curriculum that could fulfill the gaps in real time? So it's all about how do you know the talent and how do you use that data towards helping the talent get to their ultimate career goal? That is the solo mission. And for doing that is where we have built modules around sourcing, screening, upscaling, and we made sure that diversity and equity is embedded as a part of feature within each of these platforms. Great. Thanks for that, Ganesh. Uh, I guess we'll next like to talk about um, your early years. So if we could uh, go through where you grew up, where you went to school and how your early years were, that would be great, please. Sure. I grew up in a place in Mumbai. I grew up there for 20 years. Did my school uh, from Bombay University uh, in mechanical engineering. As a part of moving on to the next step, I just wanted to continue with my studies. I didn't know what, what else I can do. And as a part of that transition, I had applied for a master's program. Uh, one of the programs in India called as Indian Institute of Technology, where they provide masters and it's a very good school. And I was fortunate enough to get into the first year of nuclear engineering. Uh, But I quickly realized that that probably is not cup of chai for me or cup of tea for me. And uh, (laughs) I like that reference. Yeah, uh, that that was very true. I I literally felt like uh, probably I'm not meant to do that because it, it was getting into a field which was very narrow. It was getting into a field where the specialization, if you do that, there is no other place other than being in one or two agencies in in India. And uh, I actually worked there in the two agencies for almost like six months. Uh, I felt probably I wouldn't be able to take this on uh, because it involved quite a bit of bootlicking, making sure that you can connect with the right stakeholders. It was less about your talent, more about people you knew to grow your career. What I did was as a part of finishing that, instead of finishing, I just took a break for a month. I did my GRE. And after a year, I moved to U.S. to do my master's. Oh, that's great. Where where in the U.S. did you go to and what did you study? Uh, I did my school from New York. It was, uh, I was fortunate enough to get a funding from State University of New York, SUNY. And it was a tie between Binghamton and Cornell. So when I came to U.S., this was back in 2001, maybe. There was a big surge in terms of nanofabrication. And uh, being mechanical engineering, I wanted to transition into something which is more mechanical because that time chip design was picking up quite a bit of steam. I felt very interesting. So I switched from mechanical to electromechanical, learning a lot more electrical engineering. And this specific uh, course was more about doing some work at Connell Nanofabrication Center. Uh, and as soon as I finished it, I was fortunate enough to get the first break in the Bay Area back in 2005. That's interesting. So, you know, you you made a couple of transitions there. You know, you were in a space of um, what, what I see as, you know, nuclear 
engineering right at IIT and then you pretty quickly switched over to electromechanical engineering I mean let's talk about some of the cultural differences you know you you, you made it sound so easy to just you know go from in India then and then just switch over to you know New York that must have been big and and, and what happened there so I didn't know what I was getting into. I knew that I'm getting into a land of opportunities. I had my open mind in terms of seeing how the transition may happen because I was moving from mechanical to nuclear to now electromechanical. Uh, as a part of transition, I think the biggest transition for me was cultural because it's a very different mindset in India growing up and studying versus what you see in U.S., uh, in India, it's a lot more focused on getting the mark high, making sure that you're always acing every aspect of what you're learning. In US, it's more about understanding the concepts and making sure that you implement those concepts in real life. And that transition took me almost like a month to think through in terms of how do you uh, learn different subjects. But more importantly, I think it's the aspect of staying away from home, staying away from family, mm. uh, doing things by yourself. And especially in India, where you're always pampered by your parents, you don't have to even move anything. Everything gets done for yourself versus shifting into US where everything has to be done by yourself. You have a lot more responsibilities. And especially when I came to US uh, is when the 9-11 happened. Uh, and uh, it was interesting time for me because when we came, when I came to US, there was a funding. Within a month, I just lost the funding because of 9/11. The government had taken out some of the funding within the Sunni universities. Oh, that must have been uh, really tough for you, Ganesh. I mean, that was obviously a devastating event, but um, that must have been, you know, quite tough for, for you to learn that your funding was pulled. Um, how did you survive, and how did you make it work? <laughs> that was an interesting time. So I come from a background which is, uh, I would say. Uh, normal middle class and in, in India, your parents pretty much save everything they can to make sure that uh, their kids do well. That's how my parents did it for us. They pretty much uh, invested everything that they had on us. And when we come to US, it's primarily you have to show a certain bank balance to make sure that uh, you show there is financial stability for you to get into the school. For me, it was a lot easier because there was a funding. And once you have the funding, the aspect of how much bank balance you have to show drastically reduces but they still ask you to put some collaterals to make sure that if something goes wrong there is something to back up and make sure that you can have enough money to not only fulfill your studies but go back to india uh, so when when i when i was coming to us we had put our home at collateral and uh, i i thought that this would be the worst thing you don't have to even worry about it because my tuitions were all paid i i was getting some some good stipend but it was pretty interesting as soon as i came here 9-11 happened not only that all the funding just evaporated within a week then i had to actually bring the money for the tuition and pay it uh, as a part of the collateral uh, which was very hard for me because i was pretty much mortgaging my parents had mortgaged the home uh, i was fortunate enough to get uh, on-campus work because i was an international student i can't work outside i had to look for on-campus work and i was fortunate enough to get one slot which was more of a dishwashing uh, and this was a slot between i still remember 9 to 12 not only you clean up the whole thing but also wash all the dishes and they had a dishwashing machine the huge one which was almost like the size of maybe a floor and you put all the dishes on one side it gets clean it comes out of the other side you have to basically wipe it with uh, proper clothes and uh, stack it back right that was that that is what i had to do but more importantly, I still remember at the end of the session, you have to open up all the machine and clean up every aspect of the gear with uh, with jet water. And that was one of the worst experience because the smell was so nauseating. And that really incentivized me to make sure that I get the funding quickly. Uh, but that was one of those learnings. I, I still go back to those experiences because it was more like I was just learning to be by myself. But you're just thrown into the situation where you don't know how to come out of it in any time. And this really helped me to shape who, who I am and where I am. Anytime I hit really tough times, I always remember these times that helped me to take the right decisions and move on. And more importantly, focus on the outcomes, not on what you're going through. Because at the end of the day, if you do that, eventually things work out. That's, yeah, that's, <laughs> that's a crazy story. I mean, two months in, move from, uh, is it within two months in, you move from India and then you... You, you arrive in New York with all these hopes and dreams of the land of opportunity, as you called it, right? <laughs> and then, um, you know, unfortunately, you know, that disaster happened in America and it changed and affected many people in so many different ways, including you. 
I just want to move on a little bit uh, to, you know, after you graduated and your experiences, uh, your first experiences in your career at Six Sigma. Could you share a bit about that and uh, some of the stuff that you were doing shortly after you had graduated? Sure. Uh, so as I was applying, I was fortunate enough to get into one of the companies based out of the Bay Area called Six Sigma. And it's more of a manufacturing company that is able to take a chipset out of rice. Price is just a local shop. You can just walk in, buy a chipset. They used to take those chipset, completely disassemble the entire chipset and reassemble it with new package. And the things that we were buying off the shelf for maybe a couple of thousand dollars, maybe thousand dollars or thousand five hundred dollars, we used to sell it back to JPL, NASA, Northrop Grumman for close to quarter million dollars. Wow. Um, it used to take solid three months or so to repackage, but that's that's how we had engineered and that was part of the patent for the startup and uh, that's where I learned more about how do you build uh, something from the ground up so I, I literally was the initial employees where we were working very closely with the founding member and I could literally see what this person had to do beyond just running a company right uh, good experience in terms of knowing the things that you have to do beyond just your daily activities. And from there, I was fortunate enough to get good experience to move into a semiconductor company called as AMD that competes with Intel. I did more of marketing as well. I learned more about sales. I learned more about operations. I learned about HR management beyond just doing technical work. Uh, they were looking for a person who can be a mediator between manufacturing as well as one of their biggest customers then, which was Nokia. At that time, Nokia used to be the forefront in terms of uh, the mobile technology. And my role was to basically work with uh, the customers trying to understand what is that they are seeing as a part of the future roadmap, come back and do the designs on the package, not on the die, silicon die, but more on the silicon die to package. Uh, it's called as a packaging engineer. That's how I started in AMD and coordinate with manufacturing team and make sure that we are ramping up the production properly. I, rem I still remember the Nokia phones. I don't know about you, Sonny, but um, it was uh, quite a revolutionary uh, time, wasn't it? <laughs> oh, absolutely. I think oh, yeah. everyone used to have the Nokia phones uh, back in those days, I think. The 3310 and the Snake. And yeah, that was, that, that was awesome. That they was were simpler time. times, weren't they? They were. Simpler times. <laughs> Um, Ganesh, just touching on the fact that, you know, clearly, so your role starting to pivot at this point uh, from a technical role to a more business oriented role. And certainly when we discuss Cisco, uh, which you moved into later, um, you're in a more of a product management strategy and operations role there. Um, so you were clearly shifting from technical to business. Was this something that was perhaps, you know, you just fell into this? Was this forced upon you or was this kind of a strategic decision on your part that, one day I want to start my business, so I better learn how to, to conduct business. I wish I was that smart. I don't think I'm that uh, that smart enough to think through what areas I need to go for. It actually went through the flow. Uh, it was my normal flow. I wanted to learn more about uh, how do how, how does it feel like working in a startup? And that's one of the reasons consciously made a decision to join a startup, see how it is done from the ground up. And learned that process, I wanted to move into enterprise and see how it is done in a larger organization. And as a part of knowing those bigger themes, the roles actually came in as a part of the flow. I didn't consciously make an effort saying that, hey, I need to look for something more business oriented. Uh, but I was lucky enough to find these breaks at the right time, which helped me transition my career as well as uh, the outcomes that I'm basically going through right now. No, that, that, that's great to hear. It's funny how journeys progress, really. And sometimes what are you intending to do, how things change and pivot you know, throughout people's lives? Uh, I think one of the stats I was reading was like, people's careers these days change on average three times, I think. So uh, don't quote me on that. I think I'm just getting that from memory, but I, th I think that I think that's what it what it was. Uh, okay, so interesting. Um, we, we mentioned Cisco now as well. So uh, can we talk a little bit about what you did at Cisco? Because uh, from the last time we spoke, I remember it being quite a exciting division that you were involved in there. Yeah, Cisco is an amazing company. Uh, it's one of those companies where they don't look you down because you are moving into different roles uh, very quickly. And uh, they actually help you in moving in different roles within the company as well. It's a great culture and uh, a great company that anybody, or especially a cultural company that anybody wants to mimic if they want to build an enterprise company. So when I joined Cisco, it was more parallel to what I'd done with AMD, more into hardware packaging, 
but instead of being a vendor serving cisco i was at cisco basically dealing with multiple vendors at the same time uh, and as a part of getting into this role uh, i was more of a packaging engineer from there i moved into a role where it was more of hardware uh, program management and cisco at that time was coming out with uh, a new consumer device and i still remember this very well because uh, iphone uh, had picked up quite a bit apple was making quite a bit of money everyone was saying oh my god consumer is the right space cisco said okay we want to build a homegrown uh, consumer product and we came out with a product that can sit on top of maybe any television uh, it can connect to a normal wifi and we had built a specific codec box that can decode uh, the video and it can provide 720p or uh, 1080 resolution at the normal uh, wifi speed and that was really cutting edge that time and as we came out we felt that this can really be given to any of the uh, any of the consumers the two people can easily have video conferencing and this was before iphone came with their facetime 6 months before as we launched the service through best buy it was picking up quite a bit and when we were about to hit the full throttle is when iphone came with their facetime we were selling it for $1000 and iphone was giving it for free uh there was no way on earth people are going to buy this product and uh, we completely lost that but the biggest learning for me in that process was hardware is not the place where i wanted to grow my career that was the biggest learning because we had spent quite a bit of time to make sure that we can build this product from in in a way that would be cutting edge and that can make a lot of money for cisco we still pay and what came out of that learning was probably hardware is going to get more commoditized <laughs> and software is a place where the investments are low you can try test and see if it is going to fail that's okay you can rebuild again it's not going to cost you a fortune and that was the reason uh, that was kind of the uh, experience that helped me to transition into the software world and i was fortunate enough again cisco is very helpful in transitioning or giving you the opportunities into an area which helped me set the base to what we are doing as a company that that sounds great uh, ganesh uh, no no really really great great to hear that you know big corporations like cisco are still encouraging you know people to 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 move around stay internally and find you know what their passion is and also more importantly are moving with the times of course that was a a bit of a, a kind of a unfortunate event when apple released facetime that was a bit unfortunate but uh, but it's good to see that you had the foresight to to recognize that software is perhaps more important than the hardware side and and, and you that's that's where you wanted to focus your your career on so that, that's great to see moving forward then um we you moved into kind of um more on the business side of things but last time we spoke Ganesh you also mentioned that you started recognizing that there's some problems or issues if you like uh, in the kind of talent world pertaining yeah pertaining to kind of talent and how that is managed within corporations can you share about how you kind of discovered that and what that led you to do absolutely absolutely so as a part of this transition within cisco uh, i was fortunate enough to be a part of this uh, team that was building the software as a service as a part of being in the team uh, it was rapidly growing at logarithmic scale i would say and every week i remember we used to have a lot of people uh, getting interviewed onboarding is happening cisco was also merging different groups into this common group every week we used to either go through interview process or basically onboard somebody or sometimes get into some awkward hr conversations and i always used to wonder back of my mind the person who walks through the interview process the person who gets selected the person who gets onboarded everything looks hunky dory uh, what on earth makes this person not perform to their full capacity because some of these folks were actually extremely talented coming in from the likes of stanford dual phd or from berkeley really good skills but they end up being in the bottom 5% or mediocre performers right and that part ended up us as a organization spending close to 12 million dollars 38% attrition year over year and we tried out so many tools to see what really would make this person work well within the organization we tried out different assessments we tried out different orientation programs different communication styles different incentive programs none worked for us and there was this constant frustration of seeing what is the best way to understand who you are and what is the best way to connect you 
with the right opportunities as a talent because if you do that right you not only are serving the right thing for the talent but also for the enterprise who is all always looking to find the talent who can make a difference within the organization and that kind of frustration stayed in my mind and the group was also that i was involved in was uh, doing quite a bit of analytics they were preemptively measuring the failures of the device on the field using data and uh, we were building kind of the cutting edge machine learning models when there was no concept of ten- tensor flow which are all basis for any machine learning model now you can pretty much start building models using tensor flow that time there was no concept of machine learning so we were actually building something that can preemptively measure the network failure using data and as we were doing that i always felt how about we transition that to identify the success patterns within maybe a given talent in an organization and how do we then transpose that towards building tangible business outcomes that can serve purpose both for the talent as well as for the enterprise and if you do that right it's a win win both for the talent as well as for the enterprise and that kind of was the genesis of starting this venture uh, which was purely based on the uh, my personal pain point where we are constantly churning out people 38% attrition 12 million dollars loss trying out every aspect of identifying what would incentivize a particular talent so it's these kind of issues that you sort of identified during your time at Cisco right these talent issues that you thought okay you know there's an opportunity here so I, I, and this is where we're sort of leading into the the organization that you uh, that you founded dot in could you talk through um, that process so the pain point was very real i could see that not only our organization as spending quite a bit of effort to identify what really motivates a talent how do you retain a talent how do you make them productive but it was a consistent problem across many other business units not only in cisco but also i had an opportunity to step outside cisco we used to go to these meetups and there were some leaders who used to come and give some speech and at the end of the speech you can just walk in and introduce yourself and just ask this probing question hey Uh, do you think these kind of issues are seen on your organization the answer was always resounding yes i asked them hey how do you, how are you solving the problem there was no structured answer to it which gave me a glimpse that probably this is a problem that nobody is solving in a in a, in a way which can be methodical in nature and if you can do that right it's a repeatable sales cycle right uh, that that's where you find the product market fit and repeatable sales cycle and that initiation and that validation talking to a couple of other folks outside cisco helped me to uh, formulate that hey probably this is a idea that we should start working towards and that's how we started building the team starting working on the idea and building the prototype cisco you were there for a number of years i think so this is now 2016 um and you're starting to really think about this idea uh and you actually went through a, a very long period of research actually right so could you talk about yeah. um talk talk about that process and why you started to research i know that a lot of entrepreneurs they just go straight to product uh as opposed to research and uh talk through t- talk through that process with us yeah actually it's an interesting journey so as a first time entrepreneur right and uh, coming in from a background of engineering you always feel you have to get everything right before you go out to the market and that was a hard learning for me in a nutshell when we started this venture we brought in a bunch of data scientists mathematicians clinical psychologists and neuroscientists who do this for a living they do experiments they try to understand human behavior and try to put the human behavior into certain personalities and looking at the initial set of the experiments i felt hey probably it may take 6 months even if it slips maybe 8 months maybe 12 months worst scenario but within a year we would be able to go out to the market and sell a product which is not only unique but also uh, scalable and has a lot of differentiating factors because of the approach that we were taking i was so wrong in that process it didn't take us 12 months it took us solid 3 years before we could get the product out the door the first sellable product out the door and even in that process i felt there again that's a part of the hard learning uh instead of going out and talking to the customers and seeing the end users who may see a value of such product and what features would be important for them we started building a lot of features internally without even validating is this going to be useful for the end users right and in some cases 
some of the features, if I look hindsight, we could have easily dropped because it wouldn't have made an impact to selling, which which would which would have actually shrunk our go to market or the product going to the market by easily an year, if not more. Uh, but what what it also helped us is honing in on how can we differentiate ourselves in doing something that nobody else is doing. And this is something that I've seen even in traditional uh, assessments because assessments is one of the ways to understand humans. And we were getting into this business of understanding talent, which is all about humans. And as a part of doing the assessments, the traditional approach is you ask a bunch of questions, people give you an answer, and you basically try to see based on the answers provided, what can be their personality. And this is something that I've seen personally within even the companies that I worked with is people give you an answer. The talent would give you an answer based on the outcomes, which never reflects the true self of who they are. And many times it's driven by a need. And whenever you give an answer based on need, that's your conscious mind speaking, which only reflects 10% of who you are. And the other 90% is generally governed by a subconscious influences and decision-making process. And when we started, we wanted to tap into this subconscious signals, which was very hard. And that part of tapping in, building the model, validating, took a very long time for us. But I'm happy we did that because anybody who's out there who wants to take this route would easily take that much time, if not more, because it's a very hard learning, unless until they hack into our system. Uh, but it also helped us to build a product which is not only cutting edge, but also meeting a lot more industry standards and in some cases exceeding a lot more industry standards as compared to the competitors. You know, this sounds like you went through, as you said, three years of research. You, you hired a bunch of data scientists studying this and you're trying to really understand human behavior. And it's an area that, you know, is really interesting actually, because there's a lot of you know, personality tests out there, you know, Myers-Briggs yeah. is probably one really, really popular one in businesses. How are you sort of differentiating your product uh, or this product um, to, to, to ones that are already out there? Assessments, I think you gave an example, but Myers-Briggs, Enneagram, I think that's another one um, and, yeah. and others. There are a bunch of them like Myers-Briggs, Gallup's polling, 360 degree view, Strength Finder, disk assessment. These are very popular ones that are out there. Uh, so if, if you look at all these assessments, actually the assessment, whatever we just talked about, every assessment is based out of a standard that was created back in early 1900. And that time assessments were created. Uh, if you recall, Myers-Briggs was created primarily for selecting the soldiers who can fight the World War. That was the theme. And it was primarily done with handful of people who are men and with certain age, with certain ethnicity. But the key part is nobody has evolved from that perspective because there was no need or there was no burning aspect of changing what people were already comfortable in. And it's a well-known uh, assessment. The outcomes are very, uh, very much accepted across the industry. Uh, but something that everyone understands, it can be forged, but nobody knew how to solve that problem. And we actually, when we started, that was our fundamental premise is how do we stay away from asking questions? Because all these ask a bunch of questions you think and give an answer. The moment you think, your conscious mind kicks in, there goes your right. assessment. Got it. Right. So for us, it was very important to pick the signals which are not conscious, but subconscious in nature. I can certainly relate to that, Ganesh, because uh, I did, um, when I was at a large financial services firm, I did one of their Gallup surveys and Clifton Strengths Finder surveys. And um, it's interesting when you do those tests, because, you know, whenever you do them, you always feel like you should answer the, what they think is the right answer. I never answer what, uh, you know, what I think it might be for me. You, you always want to answer what you think might be the correct answer, uh, or quote unquote, you know, whatever the correct answer might be. So, so this is the problem that Dotson was really trying to solve, right? You know, you're trying to, you're trying for the user not even to think about those things. It's, you know, tapping into the kind of subconscious mind. Is, is that the problem you're trying to solve? Uh, absolutely. Absolutely. And as a part of the same theme, we stumbled on the study that, that, that was done back in 1985 by Nippon Research, which was purely on colors and contrast. And the theme was very different. It was nothing to do with basically HR or personality related related to HR, but this was more about personality with respect to selling. And the concept then, which is which was very popular company in Nippon, they used to make quite a bit of cameras, 
uh, was how do we identify what would be the right colors and contrast that would make the product sellable that was their key theme and the theme was actually originating out of a study which was coming back in 1960 going back further and back in 1960 there was no concept of digital signage the only way you can connect brand to the audience was through big poster banners and if you drive through the highways you can see these big poster banners and that time they were trying to figure out what is the best way to attract somebody to look at the poster banner get connected with the brand and buy the product that was the theme for the marketing and as they were trying out different themes like changing the texture colors as well as the lighting they found colors playing significant role in not only having a positive influence of connecting the consumer to look at the billboard but also buying the product and that's how the color emotion guide which is very popular in the branding world came into play 1985 nippon research looked at the study and they said oh there is something in here they took almost 10 years to create a book out of this uh, which is still used in the fashion industry ad agencies which basically talks about not just colors one color but colors and contrast has a big influence in connecting with certain personalities when we looked at that study we were like can we try to reverse engineer this and see if we can extract the personality of the users long story short when we we were doing multiple experiments the accuracy of the experiments jumped at least by 30% and we felt there is something in here because the signals are very strong but it took us almost like i would say two more years to hone in on different patterns colors different ethnicities across the globe that can translate to not only personality but also tangible business outcomes and that is just one of the probes we are also looking at also the aspect of style of writing there are 16 probes that we have in the style of writing how long is your sentence formation uh, how many active versus passive words you are using how you are contextualizing the sentence how you are bulletizing all of that has a part of your personality similar to that what music you listen to there are 12 probes within music that subconsciously influence your decision making process how do you pick these probes highlight not only the core strengths but also then use those towards in this case we are using it for hr uh, tangible outcomes like jobs mentors uh, teams or even the right training curriculum that would fulfill any gaps in real time wow that's that's really really fascinating so on the probe of colors that you talked about you said there's a number of other ones what you're saying to to us is that i can look, look at some certain colors and be a, uh, and you could come back and tell me with your product this is the personality andy has and you know is he a right fit for this team that he's you know we're recruiting him for is that, is that essentially kind of the the way that you would sort of describe at least that one probe we're just going to take a quick break if you like what you're hearing please remember to hit the subscribe button and we'd love to hear your feedback so please remember to leave us a review you can follow us on instagram facebook and twitter on our handle businessoverchai or on our website at businessoverchai.com thanks again and now back to the podcast that is correct so as an example there is a free assessment you can go online uh, to the website you can take your own personality test and it takes just a minute for us to understand your core strengths which primarily includes your working style your learning style your dominant attributes your workplace values and your compatibility attributes and the key aspect for us the principle that we follow strictly is always look for your strengths not the weakness and from the user perspective we always come in from the lens of a end user which can be a candidate or an employee how can i use those strengths towards tangible business outcomes so instead of telling the enterprise these are the shortlisted candidates we help the users identify these are the jobs that you should apply for which basically meets your technical as well as non technical requirements and these may be the mentors that you should connect with or these may be the team members or the synergies within the team members that you would see or for this particular course these are the training curriculum that you should take to fulfill any technical and non technical skill gaps in real time so our goal or principle from the get go is focus on strengths and help from the perspective of the users which can be a candidate or employee and if you do that right enterprise automatically benefits in this process that sounds really fascinating and actually really interesting um I guess one of the questions you might hear from your prospective clients is how do we know that the results you provide are accurate? Um I'm sure it's quite difficult to measure the or quantify quantify at least the accuracy of the results. So how can your clients be assured that the results that you're giving them are are, are true? 
That's a very good question. I think the key part, there are two ways of uh, seeing if this is going to work in in your favor or not. One way is you look at experimental data, industry standard experiments we have to perform uh, and do uh, and create validation documents, which are all industry standard. And that's already in place. Companies go through it before they even uh, start any kind of proof of concept. So that that is first part of sniff test, I call it. Once the company sees there is a lot of good good data in here, as they do the POCs, this is where the rubber meets the road. The aspect of are we able to save time in finding the right talent? Are we able to align the talent to the right opportunities? Are we able to then retain the talent for a longer time? Are we able to see the productivity improvement? And especially in productivity improvement, which is a little more vague in non-sales organization versus in sales, it's a lot more easier. We actually focus on sales as a part of productivity improvement and show the aspect of people who come through this channel end up not only getting retained for a longer time, but also exceed the quota on an average by 2.5, if not more, with respect to whatever quota that they have to achieve for that month or for the quarter. So those are the ways that we show this is adding value. And because this is a brand new technology, it took us almost like a year just to create case studies. The companies can actually go online and start looking for the case studies. We are creating a lot more as we speak because there there is huge outcomes or value seen from the outcome, not only saving money right off the back, but also seeing higher productivity and retention, which directly adds value to your top line as well. Those are the ways we are able to reduce the apprehension. And actually, the COVID has really accelerated the process of adoption. Pre-COVID, I would say there were a lot of apprehensions on AI. Post-COVID, it's all about how do you get the work done in this virtual world, which is becoming so difficult to even connect with people. And how do I know who you are versus what you can do? is becoming more important. Yeah. And that that's really helping us to get the adoption faster. Well, yeah, I mean, that, that's such a good point. I mean, it's so, so difficult nowadays. I mean, and I think we're going into a new era of work, as you say, and it's becoming more difficult to really, you know, assess people. Um, and I love the fact that you're, you know, really changing the space here, um, moving from the traditional assessment model to using machine learning and uh, te- technology in a new way, in a cutting edge way. Um, and, you know, you talked to us before this conversation, you know, Dotin has grown to, uh, you know, it's, a, it's an ARR model, an annual recurring rev- revenue model. Um, and you've got, you know, a, a ton of different clients now reaching to seven digit growth, 150% quarter on quarter over the last eight quarters, which is absolutely phenomenal, uh, absolutely phenomenal. So could you talk a bit about some of the clients um, specifically, maybe an example of um, sure. yeah, a, a, a case or a problem that you solved using using your, your, your technology? Sure. There are actually a couple of them, I can say, in different continents. Uh, I can start with uh, something like uh, our first investor, NetOne Systems. They are part of uh, Mitsubishi. <clears throat> we have built a new product line for them, which is a Japanese product line. A white label solution they are selling it in japan and the intention there is how do i find the right person right employee for a given role but more importantly help the employee identify what are the different roles that would suit their personality along with their skills and also how do i help the employees identify the team synergy and wherever the frictions are how do you minimize that within the team and more importantly how can i collect those data sets as talent analytics to predict where the productivity losses or where the disengagement is, or how do I change some of the incentive programs for that particular organization? Or how do I change my communication style for that particular organization? So it's all about talent analytics that we have built for them. That is one of the case studies and they already winning some big accounts. As an example, they actually are doing some research work with one of the top medical schools in Japan called as Nagoya Medical University. And they would be publishing a medical journal paper of using such solution in enhancing the engagement among the employees and they have seen direct correlation. Uh, so that that's something that we are very excited about that the paper will be published in the next month or so. We are also working with uh, our Tata Consulting Service, which is a big IT service organization. They compete with Accenture, IBM. And uh, it's interesting joining with Tata 
uh, Tata Consulting Service because they started more as a customer. They wanted to see how this can be utilized internally. And they saw a huge value in terms of predicting not only the best talent and helping the talent transition into the new norm quickly through different features within the platform, but more importantly, directly adding value to top and bottom line of the business. And now they are not only internally consuming it at scale, they have more than half a million uh, employees global, but now they are taken the white label solution called as workforce analytics offering and they are going after their customers who are struggling in this new norm to see how do you digitize your workforce and that's exactly where we fall in, into play. So that's one more example where they are not only using it for their internal consumption to enhance both top and bottom line but also they are helping their customers as they see the value. And uh, one more area I'd love to share is uh, the aspect of 911 operating space. Uh, we've been fortunate to work with one of the partners who are also taking it to the space where there is quite a bit of focus on diversity, quite a bit of focus on removing bias. And because we do not focus on, uh, the system doesn't focus on gender, race, ethnicity, facial expression or contours, they have seen this work well in terms of identifying your strengths in the most unbiased fashion. And how do you use that data towards team building? How do you use that data towards change in communication style? or change in incentive programs so that it brings out more of cohesion and remove bias within any organization if possible. So those are the big ones. Uh, we also are working with Royal Bank of Canada. We are working with KPMG. Uh, we recently won a, a big deployment for an educational company in India called as Baijus. I'm not sure if you've heard this name. Uh, so they would be using this at scale uh, in terms of uh, screening the frontline uh, sales officers who are coming into that platform. Yeah, a lot more in the pipeline as we speak. Exciting times. Yeah. Any India cricket fan would recognize Baiju's as it's plastered on their on their shirts. So, uh, <laughs> yeah. um, but yeah. uh, but uh, no, there's some fantastic case studies there, Ganesha. It's great to see that you're helping your customers, but in fact, that's in turn helping their customers as well. And then you're also, you know, kind of helping our emergency services and 911 services as well. That, that's fantastic to see. Um, so, so what's next in store for you and what's next in store for Dotin as well? I think for us, it's all about right now, focus on growth, customer acquisition, partner acquisition, and how do we get ready for the next round of funding? We are already doing that as we speak, but more, more focus is on the revenue growth, which is happening as we speak. And how do we make sure that we can bring that scalability to the next level? So Ganesh, that's a really good summary of what Dotin is. Is, is focused on and, and their mission. Uh, wanted to kind of open up a bit more and get a bit more, uh, let's just say, um, into the, the weeds of some of the challenges you may have faced. I mean, it, it sounds like a great story, but I'm sure like any other entrepreneur, there have been some, you know, fun times and not so fun times. So what are some of the challenges that you faced uh, through, through this journey of, uh, you know, launching Dotin? I think challenges, uh, any startup, especially the first-time entrepreneurs, there is quite a bit of uh, mistakes that we make that probably can be avoided. Uh, for me, I think more than challenges, there are a couple of things that I would definitely love to share so that nobody goes through that as the aspect of always being connected to your end users who are going to use the platform. And every feature that you put in place, make sure that it's solving a pain point versus nice to have because nice to have will never be sold. Pain points are always going to be seized. Uh, they are not going to be seasonal. It can basically uh, take care of any seasons that any economy may go through, right? So one of the things for us was understanding how do you focus on features that matter to the customer? And for us, the first few years, we spend quite a bit of time building something without even validating. If given a chance, I would absolutely avoid that. And uh, anybody who is doing something uh, as a product, always make sure that every feature gets validated from your customers. Uh, is it solving your pain point? Challenges wise, I would say the aspect, the biggest challenge for us was the aspect of uh, funds. Uh, as you are growing the company, especially on the tech side, you need a lot of money, you need time, and especially B2B selling uh, is not that easy. You, you absolutely need to have a product market fit and you need to have a repeatable sales cycle and enterprise sales cycles are not same as what you would see in B2C or any other patterns, right? So 
for us the challenges were how do you keep the runway not lose the steam at the same time start acquiring the customers and to me the biggest value again solving that challenges how do you focus on features that matter to the customer because if you do that right automatically it becomes sellable you find the product market fit it becomes a repeatable sales cycle then you pretty much are uh, sailing through the process of growth and you know there's a there's a team of 15 employees that you have full time and you said about some 46 contractors so quite a big team uh what do you going to do in your in your time what's your role look like on a day to day basis <laughs> uh, i would say chief nothing officer yeah probably <laughs> so for for me for, for me it's almost like being the cheerleader it's very easy to get buried into many activities and every person who is working including contractors they pretty much are putting their soul into making this a success right and when you are so deep into the woods it's very hard to sometimes bring yourself back and see what is the bigger picture uh, sometimes praise yourself uh, or praise the team and pat yourself on the back for doing something which may be a smaller milestone but it leads to a bigger one right So for me I see myself as more of a cheerleader seeing wherever possible make sure that there is the right incentive structure uh motivations drive and more importantly make sure that we are all marching towards the same goal because without the team we can't be here and every person on the team has enabled us to where we are for me I'm just trying to make sure that everyone follows that common goal everyone feels there is a purpose behind what they are doing within the company yeah that's my goal Uh, that's do, my role as well i do have a, a very uh, poignant question as well did you use your test when you were making these hires into your own organization <laughs> absolutely that's the first thing i do always eat your own dog food to make sure that you are not only picking the right people yeah. but you are picking people who are going to make a difference within the organization and more importantly when we do the test we actually tell them say there's something we are going to show you the strength you can then decide if this is going to matter in terms of joining the team give them that option versus doing it from behind that's how we have pretty much onboarded most of them within the company so um ganesh that's fantastic insight there thank you for sharing your um kind of entrepreneurial journey but i know there's a, another hobby of yours that takes some of your time can you please share with our listeners what tuk tuk is please because i remember you telling us last time and uh, it, it sounds really fun uh, so i love to do doodles uh, that's one of my hobbies uh and one of the things i used to follow i grew up in in, in india and uh, folks in india know there is a very popular uh newspaper called as times of india and within times of india there is this cartoonist called as rk lakshman extremely popular i've been a big fan of him and the biggest aspect of what he brings to the table is he takes a very serious topic and puts a character and brings out the lightness but also still maintains the seriousness of the topic right very hard to do and it sends the right message across to the stakeholders what you are trying to get out of that article piece or the visual that you are seeing that stuck in my mind so as i love to do doodles i felt hey we should do the same thing on tech and tuk tuk is all about how do you take some serious topics and make it more fun but make it more fun in a way it not only creates an impression but more importantly sends the right message across right uh, and that hobby is still there uh and as a part of building that hobby uh it was before even doing the dot in i was trying to see if some business can be created out of it i'm not sure if you have heard this company called as uh, life is good so you when you go to these places you get these t-shirts which all is all about a uh, some uh, character doing some fun stuff which is promoting the aspect of being positive right and the brand got so popular that they they are multi million dollars in terms of selling those brand assets through t-shirts through caps through apparels so i felt hey if this can be made as a brand that can be an avenue that can be taken uh and it was just more of a fun project and i still do it once in a while and keeps keeps my head calm in terms of uh, disconnecting through some of the day to day activities that's fantastic to hear ganesh ganesh Thank you so much for that summary of what you you're doing uh, at Dotin and your experience. I want to just uh, go through one of our questions that we ask all of our guests 
Uh, and that is, if you were to have chai with three people, living or otherwise, who would they be and why? Mm, interesting. So I was actually thinking about maybe uh, Ratan Tata from India, then maybe Oprah Winfrey, and uh, maybe Elon Musk. Uh, but as I'm saying that, it just occurred to me. Maybe I'll replace Ratan Tata with Jeff Bezos. It'll be fun to see Jeff Bezos going after Elon Musk and vice versa. It will be an awesome chai experience, uh, seeing all three of them. Uh, sharing uh, some of the key thing about all three of them is they have a broader vision and a broader perspective of making the life of humanity uh, a lot more intelligent as well as bringing more quality in life. So it'll be fun thing to see what these three would discuss with each other. Yeah, having Jeff Bezos and Elon Musk there and then Oprah to chair the conversation, that, that sounds like a good idea to me. <laughs> yeah, that would be the next, uh, probably the Prince, uh, Prince as well as uh, Megan show that Oprah can host, similar to that Jeff and Elon Musk. Yeah. It'll uh, be fun. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, Ganesh, we're so happy uh, that you were able to just say yes to being on this podcast. Um, thank you for your time. Where can uh, folks uh, reach out to learn more about Dotin and, and Tuk Tuk? So you can always go to my LinkedIn page or for Dotin, you can go into uh, Dotin.us to find all the insights. For Tuk Tuk, it's T-U-U-K-T-U-K-K.com. So you can find more insights about the visuals or the sketches that we do there. That's yeah. awesome. But thank you for this opportunity, both uh, both of you guys. It's been a pleasure chatting here and uh, what you guys are doing is phenomenal. No, it's a pleasure to have you on the show and thank you for your time. It's thank been you. great speaking to you, Ganesh. Thank you. Hi there. Thanks again for listening to the Business Over Chai podcast. If you like this content, please hit subscribe. And if you have any feedback, please give us a review. You can also follow us on Instagram, Facebook, or Twitter with the handle businessoverchai or alternatively on our website, businessoverchai.com. Thanks again for listening.